0: Good morning, Williamsburg. Good morning. Good morning. We are so delighted to have those of you that have come out this cool, crisp, sunny morning to uh, join with us here under the tent. And we're also delighted for those that have joined online and may even join later on when they come up. Uh, It's a real pleasure to be out here and to gather together and to be in the Word for a few minutes as we start our Friday morning. I want to thank Luke and Max and Dale for uh, putting all this. These <laughs> guys get up. You think it's so dark 30 to get out of here at seven o'clock. They've been out here for quite a while putting things together. So thank you guys so much. Thank you. Uh, I don't have a lot of announcements, but there is one that uh, for any of you golfers that are here online, there's a golf tournament coming up this next Wednesday on the seventh, and it's a fundraiser for those of you that are aware of the nonprofit organization called Heart, H-E-A-R-T, and it's Hope Exists After Rape Trauma. Uh, two of the members of the Williamsburg Chapel experienced this in their life and have gone on to establish a nonprofit organization for those that have been affected by sexual uh, uh, trauma and they do an annual fundraiser at the Golden Horseshoe Golf Course. So Wednesday, they still have openings for either a team or individuals. If you want to register, go online, uh, look at it under H.A.R.T golf tournament, and you'll find the information and, uh, would love to see a, a lot of your faces there. I'll be there. Uh, I know Rob and Debbie Smith, who are the couple that have uh, organized this, would be delighted to have a good participation. It's a very helpful thing. We are so happy this morning, and I know you'll be delighted to have Hunter bring us the, uh, the words out of Matthew, and we'll learn about that disciple this morning. And I'm really hoping, really, really hoping that he won't disappoint us
1: not have
0: at least one man. I'm, I'm here, there may be even two of them. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, well, we're delighted. So, anyway, uh, if we could pause for just a second and offer a word of prayer. Dear Only Father, we are so delighted to be here in your presence this morning. You give us these beautiful mornings to enjoy. And even more importantly, you've given us the words that we should take into our hearts. We are always aware that there are needs not only in our community, but even amongst us, for those that are hurting either because of this crazy environment that we're in right now with the coronavirus, but so many of the parents that are struggling with how to deal with all this uncertainty with their kids and trying to homeschool and trying to do the right things for them and keep them on track. And then there's all those that have lost loved ones and are just broken right now. We pray that you would be with them and you would help them in this time of struggle. And we are so thankful this morning that we are going to hear the the good words about your disciple Matthew, and please help Hunter bring those words and open our hearts that we can take those into our hearts and that we can spread the gospel to all those that need it. Around our community and amongst our family and friends, we thank you for all that you give us in life. And we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.
1: Amen. Hey Stan, thank you. Morning gentlemen. Good morning. We're the real men, right? <laughs>
0: I'm
1: just kidding. For those who are joining us online, we are so grateful you are here. Grateful,
0: uh, 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 grateful that you guys are here.
1: Uh, I'm just grateful for a legitimately cool day. I I love the fall weather. Um, Growing up in Connecticut, it was always a privilege to be there this time of year. Um, I was talking to Max just a little earlier about what what it was like for him to live in Massachusetts for a season in the fall. Uh, Bob, you know, you're a a Massachusetts native. Bill, you're a Connecticut guy. Like, it's just fun to be up in New England, um, but we certainly do get beautiful foliage down here in Williamsburg as well. And so it's always neat to to be a part of life when the seasons change. And as we um, as we're getting ready for uh, our next lesson here in the lives of the disciples, I, I want to encourage us as we look at the lives of these men. We are going to see, hopefully, ourselves in some of what we get to look at in the lives of each of these guys that Jesus Christ chose to use. Um, So this is our fourth week, and we're going to be looking at the disciple of Matthew, and we'll be in his gospel, which is very exciting to think that we are going to get a first-hand account by the guy who's writing about his experience of encountering Jesus. And so I think that is unique, and that's special, and we are going to learn some lessons as we look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13, and the disciple Matthew. And the theme is, I came to call sinners. So, as we have been learning, this is our thesis for the semester. Jesus uses ordinary men to accomplish his extraordinary mission. Ordinary men like you and me to further his kingdom. And that is an amazing truth that I really want us to uh, not just wrap our heads around, but wrap our hearts around and and really believe so that we might walk forward each day knowing that God desires to use us, ordinary men, to accomplish his extraordinary mission of building his kingdom and making disciples. We have been learning that a disciple is called to uh, several steps of faithfulness. Uh, The first is faith in Jesus Christ. That's The foundation, the building block of salvation. Next, the disciple is is called to follow after Jesus Christ and obey him. That's this idea of sanctification, where we are shaped and molded to be more like Christ as we rely on the Holy Spirit to follow and obey Christ. Third, a disciple is called to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ and tell others about him. That is how we fulfill the Great Commission and make disciples. And then finally, I tweaked it a little bit, Dale, but I really appreciated in week two what you, you added to the list. Um, the disciples called to fellowship in the family of Jesus Christ. This wonderful Greek word koinonia, which refers to having things in common or having Christian community. And it's, it's interesting to think, guys, that if, if Jesus needed a group of friends around him in order to uh, live and be faithful to the ministry that his father called him to. There's a pretty good chance that you and I also need a faithful gathering of friends to be around us if our Savior needed it. So, faith, to follow, to fulfill, and to fellowship in God's family. So, um, just to set up the context for Matthew chapter 9, yes, we have maps. And um, this is a map of ancient Israel or Palestine. And most of what we see Jesus doing in the Gospels early on, as is the case here, happens in this northern part of the ancient area of Israel known as Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee, which is this bluish, you can't see my laser pointer, but this bluish uh, area in the middle of that circle. That was sort of the hub. That was Jesus' favorite classroom for the discipleship lessons that he taught his, his men. And not one, but two maps, guys. We want to continue to improve. So we're getting another map, which is a focused-in map of Galilee. And about where we're going to be today is this town on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee called Capernaum, which is where uh, Peter had his fishing business primarily. Um, And this is where Jesus is right before what we'll read in Matthew chapter 9. And... Uh, Jesus has been carrying out some miracles. The beginnings of his ministry have caused a stir. The religious leaders have been frustrated. The people have been amazed. There have been healings. There have been exorcisms. There's been a lot of of teaching that Jesus is teaching about the kingdom, and it's been met with mixed reviews. Right before this, Jesus healed a paralytic, and and he forgave the sins of the paralytic in the town of Capernaum. And that caused the religious leaders to be very upset. And so uh, what Jesus is going to do next is really going to stir the pot as we find ourselves in the text of Matthew chapter 9. And I encourage you to read along with me as we look at verses 9 through 13. This is the actual calling of Matthew by Jesus Christ, the man who assembled this gospel. So this, uh, this is a first-hand account, so to speak.
0: <clears throat>
1: Here we go. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, that is from Capernaum, so he's around the area of Capernaum, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners but when he heard it he said those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. go and learn what this means I desire mercy and not sacrifice for I came not to call the righteous but sinners so the path begins this is interesting to me, because you have the man that is writing this, referring to this event. So let's ask ourselves a few questions. If our effort is to find who we are in our discipleship journeys, from learning about the lives of the disciples, let's ask the question about who Matthew was. Who was this guy, Matthew? Well, uh, first of all, he has a Hebrew name. Hebrew name is Levi. We see in Mark chapter 2 a parallel account that he's referred to as Levi. And as was customary, Jesus may, we don't know for sure, Jesus may have given him this name, sort of like with Peter. His name was Simon, he gave him the name Peter. Um, but the name Levi, uh, is the root of it means joint. But he also had his Greek name, which is interesting. His Greek name, Matthew, is actually based off of another Hebrew word, which means gift of Yahweh. So we have this man who is clearly Hebrew. He's clearly Jewish. He's called by Jesus. Now that might not seem strange, because that's all the disciples. But what seems strange is when we find out what Matthew's profession was. He was a tax collector. Now guys, this is not just someone from the IRS who says, hey, you owe a little money. We're going to get into what the tax collector in the ancient Palestine did. And how The tax collectors were viewed by the Jewish people, which makes it even more scandalous and shocking that Jesus would invite this guy to be part of his crew of disciples to change the world with the gospel. He was a tax collector, turned into a disciple, who was turned into an evangelist. And by evangelist, I don't just mean someone who goes out and shares about Jesus Christ. The proper term evangelist for to one of the four men who wrote the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Traditionally, throughout church, they are known as the four evangelists. So clearly, uh, Jesus chose this man, knowing what this man would be able to do, and the words that this man would compile and write that would be in our Bibles today. So it's special to get this autobiographical section that Matthew writes, as Jesus calls him, to follow him as a disciple. So along with this as well, Matthew was basically like public enemy number one in his community. And that's because he was a tax collector. And just to give you an idea of what tax collectors would do is uh, they were essentially employed by overall the Roman government. but. More likely, the local extensions of the Roman government. So Matthew probably worked for Herod, but Herod was an extension of of the emperor of Rome. And they would essentially buy a business. Today, you you know, you you buy a business, and um, and that's okay. But back then, you bought this business because it was going to make you very wealthy. You would essentially establish and collect taxes. And it wasn't just that the government told you to collect this much. You collected that, but you collected more because you called the shots, you wrote the rules, you defined the tax code in your community, and you would extort and take from your fellow Jews, and they hated you. To give you an idea, the Net Bible study note on this tax collector business reads as follows. These taxes were a form of customs or duty, uh, or toll, applied to the movements of goods and produce Brought to an area for sale. As such, these tolls were sort of sales tax paid by the seller, but obviously passed on to the purchaser in the form of increased prices. The system as a whole is sometimes referred to as tax farming because a contract to collect these taxes for an entire district would be sold to the highest bidder, who would pay up front, hire employees to do the work of collection, and then recoup the investment and overhead by charging commissions on top of the taxes. Although rates and commissions were regulated by law, there was plenty of room for abuse in the system through the subjective valuation of goods by the tax collectors and even through outright bribery. Here's the final sentence. Tax collectors and their employees were obviously not well liked. And if we think about Capernaum and where it was, it was a very strategic trade route location. Trade of goods that were coming from Damascus in the north. It was along the route that would pass through Galilee and ultimately onto the Mediterranean and ultimately even down south. It was kind of a, a corner where there were several trade routes that would come through, even all the way down, going all the way down to Egypt. And so people coming in, people going out. Matthew was able to say, you owe this much and every bit that he didn't have to pay to the government, padding his pockets as he willed. And guys, we probably don't have to imagine very much if we were in that position, and just the lure of greed and material wealth, just how Matthew was padding his own pockets. Tax collectors were despised in the community. They were kept from worshiping in the synagogues. Their testimony was not accepted in a Jewish court, of law they were grouped together as jesus would later teach with prostitutes in the eyes of the people they were despised in fact one ancient jewish writing set of writings the talmud said it was actually an act of righteousness to lie to a tax collector because they were that despised within their community matthew was the typical quintessential seller. He was the Benedict Arnold of the people of Judah and ancient Palestine. This is why, guys, it was shocking that Jesus would choose this guy to follow him. If his credibility, if, if Jesus' credibility amongst the community and the religious leaders was already at stake, this took the credibility in their eyes to a whole new level of depth. But Jesus didn't care. And you know Why? Because Jesus uses ordinary and, at times, very unexpected people to accomplish this extraordinary kingdom work and mission. So what we might find interesting as we look at this passage is that Jesus sees this Matthew sitting in a tax booth, and he says to him, follow me. And from the text here, it seems that Matthew immediately just jumps up and follows him. His response seems immediate. His response seems maybe irrational and impulsive. But just so we know from context, and Dale has shared a little bit about this as well, uh, the people around the region of Galilee were already observing Jesus and what he was doing. They were already hearing what Jesus was teaching. They were seeing miracles, and they were intrigued. It was was typical to follow a rabbi and their teaching in their ways. And so when Jesus said to Matthew, follow me, Jesus not only knew that Matthew would follow him, but he knew that Matthew was ready and even eager to follow him. And we know that Matthew was eager because on one level, it's shocking that Jesus would invite Matthew to be a part of his group of disciples to change the world. On the other hand, it's shocking that anyone in Matthew's position would leave. Because like I said, he was making lots of money. And once he stepped out of that seat of the tax booth, I can guarantee you there were several suitors who were willing to step right in and purchase the business and take that position from him, so he was not very likely to get back into that position. In fact, he probably would not have gotten back into that position because of how many people were waiting to take the seat. It's shocking he was invited and shocking that he was able to go and willing to go. And the question is why? Why would Matthew leave this lucrative career, maybe he was tired of the public just the public shame that he felt when he would go out and what people would say. Maybe he desired to get back into the synagogue and worship. But maybe, and it's interesting, looking at his gospel, throughout the Gospel of Matthew, he quotes the Old Testament 39 different times. Maybe he remembered back to his days of a young Jewish boy, learning the Torah, learning what the prophets taught about the Messiah, learning from his foundation in God's Word, and maybe... He wanted something more and was looking for more and had grown tired and empty of that feeling of emptiness felt with the wealth that he was earning. For whatever reason, Matthew was ready, and when Jesus called, he responded and he went with him. We find that Matthew takes Jesus and his disciples to his house. In another account, we read that this is a great feast. How amazing that one of the first things Matthew would do in following Jesus as his rabbi, as one of his disciples, is he would invite all of his tax collector friends to come in here and learn from this great man that he is now chosen to follow. Maybe this was like a farewell dinner for Matthew and his, his colleagues to say, Hey, this is my retirement party from this tax collecting business because I have met the Messiah, and I am turning over a new leaf, and he is taking me in a new direction with a greater mission, Why don't you come and learn? We don't know, but he had his friends there because he was so excited for them to meet Jesus. To recline at table, as the text tells us, sounds a little strange, but that's how uh, ancient uh, people in Israel would eat. They would recline at a table and eat on their side. It means to associate with someone over a meal. If you have someone in your home, you're inviting them into your home, you are associating with them by choice. And when you accept an invitation to go to someone's house to eat, you are choosing to associate with them, which is why Jesus, again, it was shocking that he would accept an invitation to go to a tax collector's house with his disciples because Jesus knew he would be there surrounded by other tax collectors. In the eyes of the religious leaders, that was horrible. We have uh, another author the R.T. Prince who writes the following, In the ancient world, generally a shared meal was a clear sign of identification, and for a Jewish religious teacher to share a meal with such people was scandalous, let alone uh, to do so in the unclean house of a tax collector. And so, guys, we find that the Pharisees took great issue with this. And they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And even though they asked the disciples' question Jesus knew what they were asking and he answers them with a significant word of teaching for all of us today he says those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick go and learn what this means I desire mercy and not sacrifice for I came not to call the righteous but sinners some interesting um, points to draw out of this text uh, Jesus says to the Pharisees in verse 13, go and learn. <laughs> Guys, this was a, a typical rabbinical saying of you need to read more. It's kind of like you know, my kids are, are in virtual schooling right now and one of my sons comes up and says to me, I don't know what this means right here. I, I can look at him and say, go and learn, read some more. It's, it's there. Your teacher gave you that resource or that article. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, who are supposed to be experts in the law you need to do a little more study and then he quotes from an old testament prophet hosea chapter 6 verse 6 where god says i desire mercy and not sacrifice and in that old testament context what hosea was dealing with were people that that took part in temple worship in the old testament they were outwardly doing the right thing but inwardly their heart was not in it because they would go to synagogue on Saturdays, and they would not live out that faith the rest of the week. We know what this can be like in our lives. I can go to church and I can worship God, but then once Monday hits, maybe maybe my mind's in a different place. Maybe I'm uh, getting angry at my children in a way I shouldn't. Maybe I'm thinking things I shouldn't because they're not consistent with the character of Christ. What God is saying, what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You look the part, Pharisees, but deep down inside, you're not actually living out what God wants you to, which is to love those around you so that those around you might know the truth. He desires mercy, not sacrifice. He doesn't want outward piety. He wants inner transformation and a heart that is led to obey. And Jesus modeled this. He modeled this ministry to the marginalized of this day. A professor that i had named tom constable writes the following jesus himself responded to the pharisees question he said that he went to the tax collectors and sinners because they were sinners they had a spiritual illness and needed spiritual healing note that jesus did not go to these people because they received him warmly but because they needed him greatly jesus says that ultimate healer goes to sinners he goes to the low and the lost. He came to call sinners to repentance. So what lessons do we pull from these verses? Again, thinking about us seeing uh, ourselves and Matthew, Matthew and ourselves. As the uh, garbage truck comes on by, maybe maybe County Waste wants to join our, uh, our minister um, I'll, I'll try to speak up. But the first point is, it's so funny, outdoor, outdoor Bible study, what are you going to get? This doesn't happen in the, uh, the super-serving. right. The first lesson is this. We are sick because we are sinners. But Jesus still chooses and uses us as his disciples. And again, Matthew uh, demonstrates this truth. He is He is a sinner. He is a tax collector. He is... Sick and he recognizes that and he turns and he desires to follow Jesus And just so we know there is a good track record for tax collectors in the Bible in the Gospels Especially when Jesus approaches them. We have Matthew who responded and followed Jesus. There's another famous tax collector Wee little Zacchaeus He's a tax collector, and what does Jesus say? I'm going to your house today. So Zacchaeus And then we have um, a well-known Uh, Story from Luke chapter 18 where there is a there is a Pharisee and a tax collector and they are praying And they have two very different responses in their prayer life And this is what tax collector in Luke 18 says the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven But beat his breast saying God be merciful to me a sinner. I tell you Jesus uh, Says this man went down to his house justified rather than the other that is the Pharisee For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted." Hey guys, here's the point for us to remember. If If you think you're sick, you might seek help. If you know you're sick, you will seek help. But if you and I don't think we're sick, we will not seek help. Jesus wants us to know that we are sinners. That is what Romans three twenty three says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now this is not meant to be some spiritual beatdown session where we hang our heads about how sinful we are. Let's recognize it as true, but let's also recognize that there's a two uh, another side of the coin of the gospel. That's why I like how uh, Tim Keller writes about the gospel in this way. The gospel says you are more sinful and flawed, or we are more simpler and flawed in ourselves. Than you ever dared dream, uh, ever dared believe, but more accepted and loved than ever dared hope. And that is why the other side of this incredible story, even though we are sinners, is Romans 5 8. But God shows his love for us in this that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? Amen. That's an incredible truth that we are sick because we are sinners, but Jesus still calls us. He saves us. He died for us. He was raised for us so that we might be his disciples. In spite of our sickness and sin, the great physician has come in, and he brings healing and hope and purpose and mission to us as ordinary men. That's because he came to call sinners, just like you and me. And this is important to remember because this leads to the second point, and that is that self-righteousness will stifle. And legalism will limit our usefulness as his disciples you see guys the Pharisees looked the part and and I say this as a a recovering legalist myself someone who uh, at one point in my life really struggled and felt like well well God loves me and looks at me because I'm a good person and because I'm going through the right motions he must be proud and that led me to fail to see the real need of other people in my life, um, legalism is about following the letter of the law rather than spirit of the law. There's an example of the Pharisees doing this in, um, in, in the synagogue leader, I should say, in Luke chapter 13. Jesus has just healed a woman who was unable to stand up straight, and he healed her on the Sabbath. And according to the Pharisees and their interpretation of the law, that was a no-no. And so, the synagogue leader, leader in uh, Luke chapter 13. Verse 14, uh, writes the, uh, or says this, The ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Uh, do, do you think he was missing the point? I mean, this woman had deep need. God, through his son Jesus Christ, met that need by healing her. And the synagogue ruler is, is angry that it happened on the Sabbath. No, no. That's legalism, which stems from self-righteousness. We see this again in the attitude of the Pharisee, who was praying with that tax collector in Luke 18. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithe all that I that self-righteousness, that legalism, prevented the Pharisees in Jesus' day from accepting the fact that a tax collector and a sinner had been ushered into the kingdom and invited by Jesus to follow him. And guys, I can think about times when I have wrestled with this. For example, when I was in high school, I was, I was trying to follow Jesus, but I was more focused on the, the moral side. Morals are good. Obedience is good. Tr- trust me, I'm not saying throw out obedience. It's good. God wants us to obey, but as I started to, uh, to observe some of my friends who were, were drinking and getting drunk, it became more of my mission to convince them, no, you, you shouldn't do that, instead of, do you know Jesus? Because if I would introduced them to Christ and they would accepted Christ, and he could change their hearts, and I was only focused on the outward behavior, and do you know why that? that I'll just give you an example how that limited my ability to be used by God as a disciple. Uh, That kind of became how some people viewed me. Like, oh yeah, you just want to tell us not to drink. Years later, I I saw a friend, uh, his name's Tade, he was a year ahead of me. I saw him um, at a a restaurant where I was working for that that time, and years later he says, oh yeah, you're going to tell me I shouldn't drink? Gosh, that's that's what he remembered. (laughs) Instead of, hey, you're going to tell me about Jesus. No, he, he, I was more focused on don't drink alcohol instead of know the Savior, Jesus. Because my legalism had limited my usefulness. And let's, let's not let that be true of us. Let's remember that we are sick sinners who have been saved, who Jesus Christ wants to use. Otherwise, we become self-righteous and spiritually stuck. And fail to see people like Matthew as God sees them, as He sees us as sinners who are in need of a Savior, and invites Matthew and invites us to be part of His life transforming mission so that we might introduce other people to this life transforming and life changing Savior. Guys, Jesus uses ordinary men to accomplish His extraordinary mission. We have learned from Matthew that we are sick sinners in need of a savior, but that he has saved us and calls us to this great mission to join him in making disciples. In just a minute, we're going to get some time to just turn your chairs around and ask and answer some discussion questions. You'll get a chance online as well to ask us questions with yourself or whoever is joining you. Um, but just as we get to next week, we'll be looking at Peter part one. Yes, Peter. There's a lot written about Peter and the life as a life of the disciples, so we're going to have more than one week on Peter throughout our time. But the account of oh, you of little faith from Mark chapter 14. In the meantime, uh, these are the discussion questions I would like for us to answer. Do you agree that you are more sinful than you ever dared believe, while also being more loved than you ever dared hope because of Jesus Christ? Why are both of these truths important to believe? And then secondly, do you struggle, as I have, with legalism or self-righteousness? How have these struggles ever limited you in your usefulness as Christ's disciple? Let me pray, and then after that, guys, just turn your chairs around and answer these questions. And thank you for being here, and thank you for joining us online. Let's, let's just close this in a word of prayer, and then it's time for discussion. Lord, thanks. Thanks that you use uh, all of us to build your kingdom. Thanks for the incredible truth that while we are sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And you call us to this great work, this great, extraordinary kingdom work. May we be humbled. May we be faithful and available as you call us to carry out your mission and make disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Let's go. Thank you.